Contrology, the Pilates method, the method, the work. However you want to describe it, it is the brainchild of German creator and inventor, Joe Pilates. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold. Thanks for tuning in to All Things Pilates. I'm sure most of you have used an encyclopedia at some point in your life, but did you know there is now an encyclopedia dedicated to the Pilates method? Our guest today is Mara Sievers, and she's created an online educational platform for Pilates instructors, especially those just entering this field. Mara, a former actress and dancer, had a career in musical theater and it offered her the chance to travel and express her stage talents in a variety of venues. It was at one of these venues where she sustained an injury, which led her to, yes, you guessed it, Pilates. Mara not only healed from her injury, but felt so empowered by her Pilates experience, she wanted more and enrolled in a certification program through Polestar Pilates. Though Mara's passion and understanding of the Pilates method deepened, she was becoming buried in her copious note-taking. She also had many questions and found herself clicking from one website to another, not always finding what she was looking for. Out of frustration birthed an idea. Why not have tons of Pilates information in one place? For the last two years, Mara has been building her online library and she's here to tell us more about the inner workings of the Pilates Encyclopedia. Hello, Mara. Welcome to All Things Pilates. Hello, Darian. Thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful introduction. I loved it. Thank you very much. To the point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, tell us about this idea that was birthed basically because you weren't getting your needs satisfied, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Like many, I think many people experience as they go through a teacher training program is you, first of all, a lot of programs are feel a little bit rushed. Like you, you try and cram a ton of information into a short weekend or a long, it feels like a long weekend, but you know, a weekend and you only pertain so much of that information that you hear in that you know, course or weekend. So a lot of it gets lost. And then a lot of the teacher training manuals that I've seen uh, and the ones that I've used leave gaps in the information. So it's not an actual book where that has all the information in there, but there's a lot of gaps where you have to fill in the information in the course or as homework or something like that. But what if you, you're in the process of learning this, right? So what if you miss some of that information? then you don't ever have it. And then you graduate or you prepare for your exam, and, but you don't ever actually have that information. And then once you're graduated, it's really hard to find Pilates specific information on the web, right? So you can look and look and look and you find maybe in anatomical information from other fields, but not necessarily as it pertains to Pilates. So that was sort of my frustration where I thought, oh my God, I want all of those answers that to my questions that I had 
going through the training, but then also after the training. And most of the questions come once you're actually done with the training and you you start working with real people. That's when you know have, you have actually much more questions than during the training. First of all, you get so much input anyway that you're trying to absorb, but also you don't see the situations that show up in real life that you don't even have those questions yet, right? And I saw that there was this gap between somebody graduating from a training, even a, a good, there are, there are some really, really good, fabulous trainings for Pilates out there, right? But there's still, the, there needs to be a process or a transition from learning in school and then really being able to apply that and, and handle people or know how to work with people who have challenges. And that's the thing about the Pilates method. Doesn't matter why you started to do Pilates or where you teach Pilates, in which area, doesn't matter. You will get students who have physical limitations. It's just in the nature of the method that it attracts people who can't do other things. And Pilates might be the only thing that they actually can do, right? So whether you want to work with people with special populations or not, it's gonna be the reality. So that's also, I feel there needs to be a sort of a gap from, from now you're officially a Pilates teacher to dealing with those situations that are more, they're not straightforward, not like they can't do things that you learned or that you know they should be able to do or whatever. That was definitely one of our concerns when we were going through the program um, back in the late 80s and early 90s. Most of us were dancers and the movement, the movements were very natural in our bodies. We didn't question anything. And we did have test cases, of course, people who had different conditions, et cetera, and limitations. But then you get out into the real world and you have all of this information that is in your head and in your body? And then how do you actually translate and apply this knowledge to a body that may be one way, one lesson and come back the next lesson and they're different? How do you take what you have been taught and be able to have that general application, even though it has to be specific to that particular person? Yes, there was and still is, and maybe not later because of your encyclopedia, but there really did seem like there was a, a gap between what the teacher brought into his or her body and then the real world. Students coming to your studio or you, you're going to guest teach somewhere and you are presented with variations. You weren't taught something with that particular condition. So what do you do? Where do you go for the answers? Right, so that's exactly where I wanna help. So specific physical limitations. I have a chapter inside the encyclopedia called Pilates Protocols. And that's where I talk about all of those things. So whether, you know, that's an ACL injury or a herniated disc or all of those things. And I really try and explain how to work with it, not just give you a list, uh, even though I do that, give you a list of don't do these exercises, do these exercises, but more, even more, I try to empower teachers and, and try to say, don't do flexion or just give them the recipe for how to work with them instead of just the exercises, because learning by rote is only, you know, works only half, because what if there are other issues in the body? What if the person doesn't only have herniation, but other things too, right? 
so the police protocols chapter is definitely one that is very popular because again you can you, you're never prepared for everything you have to and any any seasoned and experienced police instructor we learn these one client at a time right like that's just how it works you get that first client with a knee replacement and okay so then you study up about knee replacement and then you try and absorb that and then so slowly you know your your knowledge grows and that's the same for every for all of us. But my goal with the encyclopedia is that it's really that you get this information really quickly and immediately. Like you can log in, you can go right to the post that you need and you can get the information that you need within 10 minutes. And then let's say, right, you get a phone call from a new client and they wanna come in later in the day or tomorrow and they just tell you, yeah, they had a knee replacement you know, a year ago. So then you can be prepared for that person the next day, at least, a little bit. Yes, you're not going to be a specialist on knee replacements, but you you're going to at least, you know, do no harm. You're going to not do the stuff that's, you know, and then slowly as you continue to work with that client, you can improve your skills. Otherwise, what would your alternative be? You know, you might buy a book or you might want to look for a course, but that course might not happen until six months and that costs a lot of money. And there's all these obstacles to actually getting the knowledge. And like my passion or really my mission for doing this is I have such a love and passion for the Pilates method. I am extremely grateful for this method for was in terms of what it did for my own body. I can go into the long list of physical issues that I have that it's helped me with. But so it's really, I'm really, it's important to me to make sure that we build, uh, that all of the Pilates, in the, Pilates teachers in this world are educated, they're well-trained, they can get information quickly and easily so they feel confident and they continue to work. They don't, like lack of confidence is a huge issue for new Pilates teachers. And when, and a lot of us are women and we get intimidated and I've heard of people of just like, it's too overwhelming and they, they're on, you know, they're, they're stressed out and they don't wanna do it. But we need people, right? We need people to be confident, to feel good about helping people and to actually obviously help people. So that we, so that we, the community of Pilates instructors, can thrive because we're the ones passing on the method to the next generation of students, right? So the Pilates method can only thrive long term and survive long term, which I know that it will. But still, but if it, it will be better if we are well educated, because if if people randomly everywhere in the world have good experiences in their Pilates classes and sessions, then they will continue doing it. If they have bad experiences, then they will not do it anymore, right? Which seems to be perhaps a, a common uh, concern because it's that first class, you really have to make that connection to excite the student so that he or she wants to come back and explore with you. And if they don't have such a fabulous first lesson, hmm. Yes. And you know, anybody, all your listeners probably have been practicing for a while. We know that Pilates, you don't get Pilates in your first lesson. You don't get what it's really about when you have your first, you know, interaction with it. I find most many students and, and I'm curious to hear about your experience, but I find many students have sort of a breakthrough, like this aha moment about three to six months into it. That's when they're, oh my God, now I'm getting it. And those there are more of those more. down the road. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
first big one where they're, oh, now I get why you never want me to do big movements or, you know, where we feel like we're holding students back or they feel like we might want to hold them back because we're nitpicking on tiny little things. And, and then all of a sudden, when, when things fall into place, they get it. So this introduction to it is a hard one. Critical. It, it's critical. It's, it's critical. Important, but it's also very, it's probably the most difficult in the whole process of teaching Pilates um, because it's, it's, and for a new teacher, it's even harder because as a new teacher, you don't often have the skills to make somebody feel the, the small differences or how to really trigger the target muscle in the exercise. Or, or you have a lot of skills and you throw everything at them. Oh, that, yes. And the student gets overwhelmed. Yes. Typical problem as well. Yes, absolutely. Because we want them to see all of that. We want them to know everything that we know, like <laughs> through our brains, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You're absolutely right. So teaching Pilates is much harder than it looks at first. <laughs> and when people practice Pilates, people who, who do not practice yet look at it and think that it's very simple. Looking at Pilates doesn't, it doesn't look like anything. That's why, that's where the whole issue comes up where on social media, you get all the fancy poses. All of the poses that you see about Pilates are always the fancy ex advanced ones because the, the, the intermediate or the foundational ones, they don't look like anything. Like I've never had anybody, I, I would never allow anybody to watch one of my classes because you don't, you don't know what's happening if you watch. Yes, agreed. I remember Romana would say that we, especially in the beginning when you have a, a new student, that our job wasn't to heal the person. Our job was to give them a great workout. And if they had a great workout, they'd come back for more. And eventually the body opens, you can get in there more deeply and you can discover where there are some places that need to be healed. Yeah, a common mistake for uh, for young teachers and new teachers is that like they spend the first 20 minutes in footwork because they try and get it perfect. And it's not, it's, right. you're boring your student uh, and it's frustrating right. for the student too because they feel they're not doing anything right. So yeah, just move on. The, the one thing I, I gotta give um, credit to Katrina Holly, who was my trainer in Pulsar Pilates um, and she, after my training, she gave me this little tip and she said in the first lesson or the first few times you do an exercise with somebody or you have a new student, it can look horrible. <laughs> it's okay, it can look horrible. You're gonna then start, first they move and then you slowly start to refine. Exactly, exactly. Don't refine in the beginning, just get your student to move. I call that now form, and, and that's a typical, I think, a, a term in the Pilates world is form and function. And so I always try and remind my students, first the form, my, my, my Pilates teacher students, <laughs> first form, then function. First, just teach them the normal movement pattern. One leg out, pull it in. Other leg out, pull it in. That's it. You don't need to do anything else. No breathing, nothing in the, in the very first time. Just move. And then over time, either in the, in the same lesson, if the person is somewhat familiar with it, but over the next few weeks or months, then you can start to add the breath, then you can start to add little alignment cues. And that you can't learn in, a, in any kind of curriculum. You have to learn on the job 
basically. Correct. That's the sign of a seasoned instructor, knowing a body and knowing what that body needs for that day. Some days you can refine and be super picky. And some days you just want to kick their butt and they love it. And you have to know what they need. You have to really be inside their body, inside their heart, truly. And you bring, that's a good point that you bring up. So it's not just the body, it's their heart and their mind and their emotions, right? It would be so much easier, quote unquote, if that were just a body, right? Like if we could work like a surgeon and we just fix them, <laughs> but that doesn't work because there is another human being with their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own feelings. So I can't make them do what I think is right if they're not either not ready for it, emotionally not ready for it, physically not ready for it. And very often the client, you often as a new teacher don't can't tell the difference. You don't know if this person is physically unable to do what you're asking them to do, or if they're mentally not getting it or they're not wanting it. Like a lot of them, right? A lot of clients think like they want, they work with you. So they try really hard. It would be super counterintuitive for them to, to work less hard, but that's often what we want them to do, right? We want more efficiency in movement, but that's, that totally doesn't make sense in their brain. So, and then it turns into this fight with the student, like where the teacher tries to convince the student to try it her way. And the, and the student misunderstands it's never on purpose right it's just they, they don't get what you're talking about so it's this sort of fight with each other instead of a dialogue and then instead of a, you know a, a dance a, a dance yeah right yeah i i wanted to talk speak about that gap briefly uh quickly about the uh the, from the end of the training to being really confident working with whoever comes in the, through the door is you know in other professions whether that's you know obviously doctors you know there's an internship and there's a whole process of where you work in the field after you've gone through medical school before you're on your own there is this transitional period right and where you're being where, where somebody's holding your hand and they they gently slowly give you more responsibility but you're on the job and you're actually seeing it and that's what's missing i feel in our world did you not have an apprentice apprenticeship? no we had observation hours and i had to practice teach and those things but not next to a teacher oh. helping out that sort of thing. oh that's not that's not good right yeah i i, I agree wow if you don't have the apprenticing hours you're definitely not going to be confident when you open a studio or start working for someone who has a studio. Right. And I think that's, that's often missing. And, and that's where I also want to help out. Right. Like, so I'm, I actually just started a group mentoring program. So part of, so the, the membership itself, the Pilates Encyclopedia membership is basically a DIY thing where you, if you know, you have a, if you have a specific question, you can log in and you get the information, but I've noticed that a lot of teachers, new teachers, don't know what questions to ask, or it's just like, what do I do? That's the question, right? And you can't look that up. I'm offering this group mentoring where we can discuss these situations, where it's really a situational thing, right? They can uh, explain to me what happened, and then we can figure out how you would react, which is sometimes even, even better than being in, in the room, because 
you cannot talk in behind, you know, in front of the person about in front of the client about what's going on, sort of. So it, it's it's sometimes better if you if the client is not there, and you can honestly analyze. Okay, she might have reacted this way because of that, or maybe this was going on. So next time you see her, try this or try that, and share with us the different elements or components of your site. Right. So you log in, and there are different chapters. So every apparatus has its own chapter. So is it a map chapter, reformer chapter, the catalog, trapeze table chapter, spine card, the ladder barrel. Uh, and then I'm adding some auxiliary apparatus like, oh, a chair, I forgot the chair. And then the pedipole, for instance, and I'm adding some more contemporary stuff too, like the ooze, a little bit of connector. Uh, it's a, <laughs> there's a lot to add and some props, of course. So each apparatus and then each, there's each exercise has a separate post. And each post has information about contraindications, precautions, the setup, setup on different brands of equipment, um, how to the mounting, how to get into it, how to get started, breathing pattern, movement pattern variations, regressions, progressions, purpose, teaching skills, um, verbal cueing, verbal cues, tactile cues. So it has everything in there. And then you can even ask questions. So at the end of every post, there's a comment section. So if you have, if you know variations that I haven't listed, that's a nice way to contribute, uh, for instance, and say, oh, I've, I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this variation before that variation really successfully and people get it better if I do that. That's often, right? That's another one of those expert skills that you learn after a while is like, I always do things in this order, because if I teach this first, then my student gets it better. And then I can, then that other exercise is much, much easier to teach. Right. So those are the things that are often nobody, again, those are not being taught in often in a teacher training program. And it's a little bit personal, like many of us have our own little mini flows that we develop over time. So, you know, they can share like that, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit off topic. Let me get back to the encyclopedia. So after each of the apparatus chapters, there's one chapter for class planning. So for in the contemporary world, um, we often don't get any sequencing guidelines or only very vague sequencing guidelines. Why do you think that is? Um... That is, I don't know. So I'm Polestar, Polestar does teach sequencing, which I'm very grateful for and, and problem solving be, because they come from a, from a physical therapy sort of background. So we do learn how to transition somebody from, first of all, how to sequence a class, but also how to get somebody from a problem to a solution sort of, but yes, many, uh, the, the contemporary world, um, you know, honestly, I don't know why that is because I see it as a big problem. I don't know. I mean, I've been I've been doing this for such a long time. I don't. Uh, I've gone through many phases. I've gone through the phase of being. I just want to be completely free and do whatever I want. Because also coming from the dance world, you feel like you you want to be free to express yourself however you want, and you want to make it fluid and and then if this transition is better why do i have why can't i do it why do i have to stick with this order but then actually teaching people for a long time i realized if you do something randomly different every single time nobody's going to remember anything and they're not going to make as much much progress everybody's going to tell you they're loving it so that's that whole tricky thing where your students will confirm that what you're doing is okay but they're actually not making progress because because you didn't cue them and let them know that this is a very basic exercise, but eventually that basic exercise is going to 
open up into a more advanced exercise. And this is why we're progressing you. Our goal is to get you there. So if you never teach the student why we are doing a basic exercise, they can't appreciate the fact that now you're teaching them an intermediate exercise. They don't understand unless you lay it out that they have improved because now the basic is so simple for them. So if you do just randomly throw out exercises, so it's a, it's a little bit like you're improvising, which has its place, but not with a new student because it's too confusing. You have to have some sort of structure in the beginning. Then as the student becomes more familiar with his or her body and your cueing and your energy, then maybe you can play around with the order and what might feel best for that particular lesson. But in the beginning, structure is really important. It helps a student feel safe right off the top. And then through your guidance, they get excited because they go home and they can go in their head. Oh, I learned roll up and single leg stretch today. I know that in my next lesson, we're going to go to double leg stretch and then crisscross or whatever the, the order that you're doing, they're already set up, setting up those patterns in their head before you start riffing on those exercises. And I think maybe that's where the contemporary approach to this work is either really well-respected and liked, or it's confusing for those who really respect some sort of order. If you are a ballet dancer, you have to start with your plies. Everything starts at how the body understands from the feet to the crown of the head, how you actually bend your knees. Where is that all coming from in the pelvis? If you don't teach that, what does it matter if you jump? I totally agree. So I, I, uh, I would absolutely agree that the contemporary world needs more. We need to teach more about structure. I personally don't like having to stick to a certain sequence if it doesn't fit my student, right? So I prefer being able to make my own decisions. But that being said, over the years, I've still come up with my own sort of sequence, right? Or, or certain exercises that just work better. And I teach those all the time. And I, there's a lot of other stuff that I don't teach. And just because somebody invents a new exercise doesn't mean that it's great. And either does it, does it have a specific purpose, but also the fancy exercises or creative ones are sometimes really hard because they're really complicated. So lots of choreography. Correct. And they might be really good for somebody advanced because it's new. And, and sometimes we do need new things because the body stops adapting after a while. But, but we teach, we throw those, many people throw those extra creative variations that they see somewhere on Instagram or on the web at their new students, right? And those people don't know how to integrate anything. It's just like a random flopping around. <laughs> so, and then, and then, yeah, that's not fun to watch and it's not fun to do. Like it's maybe fun for the mind, but it's not, doesn't feel good in the body and you can't- Not healthy. It's not healthy for the body yet. Yeah. Yeah, so I need, I also agree that a certain- structure a sequence so some for example something something that i did for a while was teach an eight-week session in my classes so i created a sequence and i kept the same sequence the same for eight weeks because again when your students are used to something different all the time then telling them from now until forever we're going to teach the same sequence they would not like that 
But so it was sort of a compromise, also for me, a compromise. And I loved it, even though in the beginning, people are always resistant to change, right? There were definitely some that didn't like it so much, but they eventually they loved it because they could compare the before and after. In the very first class, they were like, oh my God, this is so hard. And I always tried to build up to an advanced, you know, to a harder exercise in the end. So they said like, oh my God, I can never do that. And at the end of those eight weeks, they were able to do this. And you would never, I had never had this experience or they had never had this experience before when I would just kind of randomly, okay, today we're going to do star, right? Because they, at that moment, it's just hard. And yeah, that feels cool because it's hard and I'm doing something hard, but there's not this feeling of I've worked for something. Progressions. Right. right. And this feeling of satisfaction within themselves. And when they feel accomplished, then they're much more committed to the method too, right? Because they see the proof that they prove them to themselves. That's, that's, cla that's classical straight away. Hmm. And that is probably the main reason why people who are on the classical side of this brilliant method, why they don't even comprehend or understand more of a free-flowing approach. Because it, it is a bit linear when you're certainly when you're starting out and you need something that's going to keep you on track. And the fact that your student will feel the changes based on a clear order is exciting and the student wants more and more just like you when you were healing from your injury how long did that take actually to heal um so i was i had a lumbar herniated disc when i was i think 22 so <laughs> Too young. <laughs> um, I know now that it's it was genetic to to a large degree because I now have a second one and my mother and like everybody in my family on my mother's side had a herniated disc at one point. So now I've already had a second one in my cervical spine 20 years later. <laughs> and and I'm hyper uh, I'm hypermobile as well. So my lumbar spine being hypermobile and then have the having the genetic disposition for that is like a recipe. I did not have I did not have to have surgery. So that was excellent. So it, it took care of itself, but I was dancing at that time. So I was in a professional job dancing and I all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I couldn't lift my leg more than 40 degrees and I was like wow. what is going on it was horrible when you think that that's your livelihood and you trying to make money with that and then you can't move it's horrible so I developed um, I developed a huge compassion for people whose bodies let them down especially young people but anybody who like feel like they're doing everything they're they're, they're working on themselves but their body is not cooperating so I have a huge huge compassion for that and that's probably that's also the most of the people that I used to teach, I, you attract that, right? Because this is who you, this is who I am. So I, I used to attract a lot of people with injuries and I got, became known for that. And that's also why I chose Polestar training because I wanted that physical therapy background because I really needed the knowledge to help me and people like me. So the, the actual injury, to answer your question, the actual injury maybe took, I think I was out of work for three, four weeks. And then they pulled me back just for a different sort of part in, I was, it was in Jekyll and Hyde. Or they brought me back for more of a zing, singing part, less of a dancing part so that I could, because they needed me. They were out person. Yeah. So that I didn't have to dance, but I could still perform. 
And then I did a lot of Pilates at that time, a lot of Pilates and yoga, very, very gentle stuff, swimming. That was sort of the only, the only three things that I was able to do at that point. And then I would say it's, you know, it's a long time ago. I actually don't exactly remember when I felt like I was pulled back, but I mean, I, f- I fully recovered. I'm still hypermobile. There's, it's still a weak part in my body. I still have to work on it, but I'm, I'm, you know, not in, no yeah, pain. not in that much pain that was then. Yes. Yeah. Was there a standout moment during your Polestar education that you can think of that is still in you today that you carry on besides the basic information about the repertoire? And I don't know if Polestar even uses that term repertoire. It's a very dancey term. I don't think Joe used the word repertoire. But is there a standout moment or something that happened in your program that you can think of that made you say, wow, I am so excited to share this passion? Um, Hard to say because it was... It felt very rushed and so full of information. And I'm, I am a very detailed person. I love details. <laughs> so are you a Virgo? Are you a Virgo? Well, I'm a Scorpio. Oh, okay. All right. I'm a Virgo and I understand detail crazy, makes people crazy. Yeah, it, well, it is, it is what it is. Right. And I'm a, I'm a constant learner and I really dig into, I want to understand. I want to thoroughly understand. I get, I get quite impatient when I don't have the chance to understand. (laughs) And And you feel rushed. Yeah. And so that's, that's what happens in these trainings. You just get bombarded with stuff. And so, you know, you slightly give up, you're not even trying to get that information, but there were like glimpses where it comes through. Like I remember doing seated pull down on the Cadillac and I was the demo girl. And then my my trainer taught me how I was using mostly my biceps and sort of the front of my shoulder instead of my underarm. And so, you know, this pushing versus pulling thing. And that was that was great, right? Because being a dancer, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm a great mover, you know? <laughs> so then she tells me, oh, you're doing this all wrong. And it was this tiny little exercise of like, pull this little bar down. So that was maybe one moment that I can think of. I'm sure there were others. Yeah, I can't think of anything specific. But I like, I like though, and it's probably not the moment that you want to remember, but it's what has shaped your next chapter of your Pilates career, which is the feeling of being rushed throughout your program stayed with you to such a degree that you in your head thought there has to be there has to be something that is more efficient that is more helpful for somebody who just had a phone call from a student coming in the next day with a knee replacement and you have 24 hours to get your shit together right so you go to the pilates encyclopedia you are already a member and then you type in your membership number you look under knee replacement and you have the protocols there, it gives certainly a newer teacher so much more confidence that the next morning, afternoon, or evening when that student comes in, he or she feels at least somewhat ready and will have a little bit of confidence in that first lesson, which is so critical to make that connection. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Just to go back to your Pilates encyclopedia, you have different chapters based on each of the apparatus. You don't have all of the apparatus yet. So you don't have the baby armchair or the guillotine or not, the, no, not yeah. yet, not yet. Not the more exotic ones. Yes, I know. <laughs> the guillotine is so magical. And then it consists of the different chapters. Do you have video? Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's a video for every single exercise. And then there's the description. So yes, in the and in the videos, I try to not just show the perfect execution of the exercise, but I actually try to point out, so this is probably what your student is going to look like. <laughs> They're probably gonna make this mistake because everybody makes the same mistake, right? Because um, it's the path of least resistance. So make sure that they're doing this, make sure that they're doing that, and then this is how you get them to do it the right way. So I try and do that in every single exercise. I try and often go into spring tension, why you would use less or more, how to get on it safely, safety, Right, is, is another thing. So yeah, so there's definitely a video for every single exercise. And I forgot to mention the other chapters. So there's uh, class planning. That's how we got started to talk about sequencing, but also uh, teaching skills. So where I have lessons on verbal cueing and tactile cueing and cueing with props, um, and also training principles, something like kinetic chains or planes of motion, uh, planes of movement, uh, C-curve, all those terms sort of that we that we use. There are a few workouts. Uh, I don't want to do too many workouts. There's plenty of sites online where you can do workouts. So I don't necessarily want to focus on that. Um, and then there, we have Q and A's too. So people can actually submit a question, any random question that you have. And I, and I answer them. And those are, those are often those in-between things, like often those things where like in between the lines where that, that, that you can't, you can't Google, like, what do I do? Like this person has told me you know, specific scenarios about specific clients or communication. I find communication is a very difficult thing in Pilates. Like, how do you explain Pilates? That's where it starts already. How do you explain what we do and what it is? And seriously, almost no Pilates instructor can explain what they do. And they, if they try, it doesn't come across. It's not, it doesn't touch the other person. It doesn't have an effect. It's, a, it's another big problem. Yes, yes. I think there are metaphors that you can use. You have to, I think you can use metaphors. I, I believe it's the best way to explain Pilates is with a metaphor. Don't try and explain Pilates, explain how how Pilates works in relation to, or with, with the metaphor, with the image of something else. Like I often use a, a metaphor of a symphony, of an orchestra, of where all of the musicians have to play together perfectly. If one person plays too loud or comes in too soon, then it's it's not harmonic. It doesn't make sense. And with the body too, every muscle and every joint in the body has to fire at the right time, at the right level for it to be efficient. So, you know, some, something like that or movement patterns, we all have our habits and our movement patterns. So that, that, those are good examples. And if we use that to explain Pilates, I think we're more successful than if we try to explain the biomechanical <laughs> work of Pilates. Right, right. And do you have live stream as well? No, the group mentoring program will be weekly live calls or are, they will be starting next week, actually. Um, so those are gonna be live calls. They will be recorded as well for anybody who can attend live. But generally I don't do a lot of live. So I don't, 
yeah, it's all it's all like pre-recorded and and um, just like a library. Your website is PlatesEncyclopedia.com, and if you can spell it, then you can find it. <laughs> That's a great tagline right there. If you can spell it, you can find it. One last question for you, Mara. Do you have any advice for anyone who may be considering a career in the Pilates method? I sure do. So one thing that anybody has to know who wants to get started in Pilates is you are your own business. Even if you're hired by a studio, you are your own business. It's your responsibility to find people and to keep people, students. So you cannot expect to graduate and then get hired by a studio for 40 hours a week. First of all, do not teach more than absolute max 30 hours a week, better 20 to 25. So do your math when you think about how much money you need to make from this. Do your math with 20 hours or 25 hours, not 40. That's the one thing. The other thing is you, you cannot wait for somebody to bring you clients. If you do work for a studio and they have a website, think of that as a bonus. Be grateful that they might actually bring you people in. But if you don't teach well and communicate well in that first lesson that you have with them, they will not come back or they might, they might go to somebody else, but they might just not come back. So you, it's absolutely your responsibility to, you know, so, cause a lot of us Pilates teachers, we want to teach. We don't want to deal with marketing. We don't want to deal with any of this or selling, but it's a reality. And if you don't, then you won't, you just won't have enough clients and period. That's just the way it is, I think. But I always say the selling and the marketing well, not marketing, but selling Pilates doesn't, you don't have to sell, you don't have to call anybody and sell them on anything. All the selling in Pilates happens in the actual session. The, we, we can cycle back to things like sequencing. If you know how to make somebody curious about what's to come, then they're going to stick around. If you overwhelm them in their first lesson by throwing every single cue you know to them, then you're going to turn them off and that's bad selling, right? So those, those, those things, in terms of being your own business, if you move, you're going to start all over because you will be known after a while. You know, you could build your business in the era that you're at physically, but if you move across the country, you will have to start on your own. Yes, you're going to be a better teacher at that point because you have experience and yes, you're more comfortable doing all of this. So it might not take as much time to build a full schedule, but there, it will take time again. So those are, let me, uh, those are the two big things. Oh, and the last thing that's, that was my, that's the lesson that I've learned from 2020 was collaborate. So my new word of the year, or probably into next year as well is collaborate, collaborate with, I, 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 so wish there were better collaboration between studio owners and teachers. I find that there's so much fighting against each other because the teachers always think the, t the studio owner gets rich and the studio owner can't barely afford to pay that teacher, but, and they all 
they don't they don't realize that that's what's going on and then everybody opens their own studio and then everybody struggles <laughs> so this might sound all very negative but i've i've done this i've had it i've owned a studio for eight years i've talked to a lot of other people and it's just the reality so if we can collaborate better and not are afraid of like stealing each other's clients and stuff like that ultimately the client will choose yes you can have as many policies in you know as you want you can have contracts signed with your teachers ultimately the client chooses who they work with and no contract that anybody signed can work against can help that right so it's if we collaborate we're all going to be happier that's yes. th those are the things i want I love it. That's fantastic advice, really. I think you said it all. I think in yeah, last right, with last year with so many, it was so heartbreaking to see so many client uh studios have been forced to close. And selling their and apparatus. Correct, correct. Yes. Or selling their I just actually this morning I texted with somebody on Facebook who's selling her studio, her whole studio. And um it's a shame that this happens and and there it's a huge overhead. Just every all the teachers out there. Believe us, studio owners or former studio owners, it's a huge overhead if you if you have a, an actual studio, if you rent place, space someplace, if it's not your home, if you rent space and you have to pay all the utilities, you have to pay for all the equipment, it's huge Insurance. overhead. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we're not getting rich. Studio owners don't get rich. We're really doing this for the love of Pilates. Yeah, to get rich, we should do other jobs. Um, but you can, it's very fulfilling, right? It's, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to do anything else other than teach Pilates because I'm so passionate about it. So it's not, you just have to be prepared for it. And and again, if we work together, then we can avoid maybe such a downturn like we had last year. Yes. It's a beautiful idea really to work together. Yeah. And it's more fun. It's more fun. <laughs> I mean, I've had my own studio. I've been alone, quote unquote, in the studio. I mean, I've been with clients, but you don't have peers. It's so much nicer to, you know, talk shop with other teachers and you know just have fun throughout the day than being sort of on your own in your own yes. studio yes i agree mara thank you so much for your time and thank you for creating the pilates encyclopedia i think it's such a brilliant idea thank you really so much thank you for saying that i appreciate it and thank you for having me thank you for everything you do for spreading the good word about thank pilates you. Yes. a lot of work for you too <laughs> yes yes you have no idea but we're into it because we love it exactly thank you mara thank you my featured student on this episode is david white david began studying at my studio in hollywood and continues with me online he says i like that you get a full workout and don't need to pre and post stretch because it's integrated throughout the routine. Pilates helps me to be more flexible and maintain balance strength from head to toe. All Things Pilates is created, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Master Audio Mix is by Fabian Romero. If you're liking this new season, we'd so appreciate it if you left a review glowing or otherwise. It really helps others find our show. For more information about the traditional approach to Pilates, please visit my website, dariangold.com. And remember, be open and willing to expand your knowledge base, no matter how much education you might have. Always remain a student. 
Next episode, tune in to hear from Dr. Nick Butowski, a UCSF neuro-oncologist who just so happens to be a Pilates devotee. See you again on All Things Pilates.